Good morning, church. Good morning. Are you tired today? <laughs> Just wondering why many people are wearing orange. Uh, on September 30, it's the day, National Day for um, Truth and Reconciliation. It's to honor those uh, children who have perished in the residential schools and also to honor the families and communities that have been affected by this. And so today is such a day that we are celebrating that for September 30. But let me start today by asking this question. Who among you here have children who are 10 years and below? Can, can I see your hands, please? For those who have kids, children who are 10 years and below, can I see your hands? Oh, only, only our personal staff. Natasha, Francis. Okay. Now, the reason why I'm asking that question is this. It must be a challenge to have kids. It might be always a challenge because th there's that chaos. I know that because I, I, I have three siblings, all male, and not a day goes by where there's no chaos in our home. The, the, it's, it's, it's fun, but at the same time, it's just so chaotic. And I, I could not just imagine the, the, the patience of my parents, of my mother, in caring for all of us, because there's only one or two year gap between us. And so it must have been a challenge for us. And I know for, for Francis and Pete and Natasha, this might be a daily challenge for them, basically. Just navigating all of this noise and chaos in raising small children. But one of the things that I realized is that today I, I really would like to honor, I know that this is not Mother's Day, but I would just like to honor the women, the mothers, for their patience, uh, the way that they care for their children, the way that they have this patience. And of course the fathers, bless you, that you take care of these small kids. But as I think about ways and the challenges of being parents, and sometimes we do know that we become impatient with these kids because they're kids, they're children, and they do things that we don't even dare them to do. How many times have you actually told the children not to do things, not to do this, but they do that anyway? <laughs> and I think this is true with regards to all children. You forbid them not to do things, but in the end they would be doing that anyway. You tell them not to open drawers or doors, they would open it anyway. You tell them not to open even uh, the gift that you have given them before their birthday or several hours before that, they would open it anyway. I think these are, these are the ways that, ch that children are. These are the challenges of raising kids. But you know what? Come to think of that, I realize that there's spiritual truth to the kinds of disobedience that children do. And what is that? How many times do we, as children of God, have disobeyed Him? How many times have God told us not to do things, but we do it anyway? How many times have we been disobedient towards God? Is this, is, is this not true for all of us? I'm reminded of the words of, of uh, Paul in I believe it's in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, if I'm not mistaken. Or Romans chapter 7, verse 15, where Paul said, that which I want to do, I could not do, but that which I don't want to do, I do. 
Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And I do believe that this would be a struggle for all of us. This is not a struggle for, for non-Christians. This is basically a struggle even of all Christians. Because on a daily basis, we do struggle against sinfulness. On a daily basis, we do disobey God. Let us not kid ourselves of being perfect before God because we are not. How many times have we been disobedient? But you see, disobedience is actually the hallmark of humanity. In all of the biblical story of humanity, it's a story of disobedience. Starting from the story of Adam and Eve, when, the, when they disobeyed God, when they were told not to eat of this fruit, but they did it anyway. They were told not to do things and disobey God, but they do it anyway. The reflection of the story of Adam and Eve is a reflection of humanity. It's a reflection of our own struggles as humans, that act of disobedience. And so we need to look at in what ways are we really being disobedient to God. But what's interesting about our text this morning, and it speaks about the disobedience of the people of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, is that we could really see and we could really describe what kinds of, of disobedience humanity is always doing before God. What's interesting about this story of humanity in the Tower of Babel is that they are the people of Babel, but just several centuries before that, actually you could find that in Genesis chapter 9, they were called before the children, the, the, the people of the ark. Could you imagine that several centuries before that, just in chapter 9 of Genesis, they were called the people of the ark, but several centuries afterward, they are now called the people of Babel. And you know what the meaning of Babel is? Confusing voices. Could you imagine? Before that, several centuries, they were called the people of the covenant, the people of the ark. Because it was during that time that after God destroyed the earth because of disobedience, he made a promise to humanity that he will not destroy the earth anymore. And he made that covenant. He made that covenant to Noah and his children. But after just a couple of centuries, they, are now, they were now called the people of Babel. A confused people. People who are just so noisy. People who are just so disobedient. Could you imagine if, if someone asks you, and let's say if you are a people, uh, a person from Babel, and, and, and you would be asked, where do you come from? And you would say, I come from the great people of confusing voices. Is it not interesting to say that? Rather than to say, I, I, I come from the people of, of the covenant, the people of the ark. But what's interesting about humanity is this, and in the story of Babel, is that we could really see the nature of human disobedience. And what is this nature of disobedience? And I would just like to ask you to reflect on that, to open your Bibles in the book of, of Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9 because we would be reflecting on that today. And as I reflect on that, there are just key, four things that I would just like to emphasize today about what it means to be disobedient before God and what that disobedience look like before the presence of God. First, I do believe, and the, the way that I read scripture and they interpret scripture is this, that it was a movement, first of all, a movement towards exclusion. 
That is the first hallmark of disobedience that the people of Babel did. Exclusion. Exclusivism. You might be wondering why I'm saying exclusion because there's not, there's not such a term there. Why is it mentioning something about exclusion and exclusivism when in fact it was not mentioned there? But let me go back to our text today, particularly in verse 3. It says there, come, let us make bricks. It's interesting. You know what's interesting about scripture is this. There are so many things in scripture that when you just miss out on a key things, you would be losing the meaning of that. And there are so many aspects in scripture actually that speaks of these details that are mentioned. And if you miss that, you would lose the meaning of scripture. And in this text in Genesis 11, it speaks about the, the, the making of bricks. And you might say that, that's such a mundane thing. That, that's, that's nothing. But if you would notice, it says, come, let us make bricks. Because before, they were using stone and tar as mortars. Why bricks? What's, what's interesting about that? Well, the fact is, before this, people were just building through stones and tar. And then suddenly they discovered something. They now know how to create something that is more durable, something that they could build, something that is man-made and that is bricks. That means that brick making during the time was really a cutting edge technology. It was cutting edge technology. What the scripture is saying is this, that for the first time humanity is using its own power, his own power to make things, man-made things, cutting edge technology. And if we apply that in this current context, we are talking about our knowledge, about our technology, about the way that we build things, our capacity to build things. But what's interesting is that while other societies and other nations are still using stones and tar for building, the people of Babel were now using cutting edge technology. For what purpose? Basically for the purpose of exclusion, for the purpose of just gathering among themselves. Brick making, and using cutting-edge technology and the use of their knowledge could be a way of excluding other people, and we are doing that today. How many times have we used our own knowledge? How many times have we used our own scientific capacity? How many times have we used our own technology basically to exclude other people? We see that with the way that the COVID vaccines are actually being spread all over the world. While the rest of the Western countries are using their technology to heal, themselves, yet other nations are really excluded from all of this, while other nations are still grappling with the need to have vaccines, yet Western countries are already talking about the third booster, booster shots. How many times have we used our own knowledge and our own technology to exclude other people? How many times have we used even progress to exclude people who don't have the means to make themselves better? And the first act and the first nature of disobedience that is shown here in our scripture would be that it was a movement of exclusion. It was a movement to use technology, to use knowledge, to use our own human capacity 
to exclude other people. Secondly, one of the things that I have observed with the way that, that disobedience was actually shown among the people of Babel is this, that it was also a movement towards concentration. The second nature of disobedience of the people of Babel, which is reflective of our day-to-day, is this, that theirs was an act of concentration. Let us go back to verse 4. In verse 4, it says, another word, it says, come, let us build a city. Let us build a city. For what purpose? Let us build a city so that we would not be scattered. This is interesting because that was not the purpose of God for them. And what was the purpose of God? The purpose of God basically was to scatter people. And the way to look at that would be go back to the chapter that God spoke about his original intent for humanity. And that is Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And you're familiar with the text. He said to humanity, he said to Adam and Eve, go and multiply and fill the earth. To fill the earth means to scatter. The the only way for you to fill the earth would be for you to scatter and go to all the places. But that was God's intent, to scatter people, to bring them to different places and nations so that these nations would be able to glorify God. Yet humanity's attention and humanity's tendency was actually to concentrate and to regather. That means that was an act of disobedience of God's purpose. God's purpose was to scatter, but people's tendency would be to concentrate among themselves. You could see that also in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, when God said to Noah and his children and his descendants, said, go and multiply and fill the earth. Go and, and, and be scattered. And you could see that also in verse 19 of chapter 9, when the three children of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth were told that this, you are the fathers of nations. And yet, a couple of centuries after, this people, the people of Babel, tried to regather, tried to reconcentrate, tried to come together for the purpose of not being able to scatter, and that means to go against the purpose of God. Is it not interesting that the act of concentration is an act of sin in this regard? The act of concentration is an act of sin and disobedience. Of course, I'm not referring to fellowships. I'm I'm not talking about this gathering today. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about our tendency to just gather among them ourselves to the point that we exclude other people from our own gatherings. The moment that we concentrate our own actions towards our own ethnicity, our own groupings among people whom we are comfortable with, that act of concentrating, then that is an act of disobedience. And it is sinful before God. Perhaps you might be concerned about what's happening with the world right now, particularly with regard to refugees and human displacement. And of course, we need to be aware of that, that there's so much 
sin and, and, and suffering and displacement and death even happening because of this displacement. But you know what? In the midst of all of this refugee situation, and there are refugees right now in our midst, and I won't mention their names, but there are refugees here right now, and I would just like to honor them in their journey. But you know what? In the midst of all of this displacement, God is at work. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of scattering, in the midst of people leaving their homes, God has a missional purpose. And that's why, that's why the Lausanne movement, which is a gathering of all evangelical Christians and churches, made a covenant in 2009. And they coined the concept diaspora missiology. And diaspora missiology means, and it states, the diaspora missiology is a missiological framework of understanding and participating in God's redemptive mission among people living outside of their places of origin. That is diaspora missiology, to understand and to participate in God's redemptive act of people living outside of their places of origin. In the midst of this displacement, in the midst of this human suffering that's taking place right now in Afghanistan, in Syria, and other places of the world, God is at work. We might be concerned, yes, we need to show compassion, but in the midst of all of this, we need to see the hand of God at work because he has a purpose for the scattering of people. And let us celebrate the presence of refugees in our midst. Let us celebrate the presence of immigrants in our midst because that is part of God's work. But the third aspect that I'd like to refer to you right now with regard to that act of disobedience of humanity is this, that it was also a, dis a movement towards secularization. First, it was a movement of concentration. Second, it was a movement of exclusion. But third, which is important, and that is, it was a movement towards secularization. The people of Babel said, come, let us build a city. For what purpose? And they said, so that we could make a name for ourselves. They were not thinking about God when they built that city. They were not thinking of any other spiritual aspects of that. They were thinking about the fact that they could make a name for themselves. Come, let us build a city and let us build a tower that would reach unto heaven so that we could make a name for ourselves. They want to build a city, but a city without God. Are we not guilty of this oftentimes? That we, would, we, we build cities, big cities, cities that, that are capable of, of hosting and holding millions and millions of people, yet in the midst of all of these movements right now, there is this movement of secularization. There is movement of the absence of God and removing God in all aspects of city life. This is disobedience before God. We decide to be independent. We decide to leave God out of all the things that happen in our cities and in our nation. 
If you have read the news last week, something important, and you might have missed this, and something important happened. In the US, at Harvard University, for the first time at Harvard, they appointed a chaplain, a chief chaplain, who is an atheist. Could you imagine appointing a chief chaplain who's an atheist? How could that happen? But these are the signs of the times. This is what we are seeing right now with what's happening in the world. We want to remove God in all public spheres. We, re we want to remove God in all our organizations, our departments, all our city life, all our social life, even in our homes. The movement of secularization is ongoing. But we are concerned about this fact because this is not a new thing. This has been always happening all through time. We want to make God be absent in all of these things. And last of all, for, uh, fourthly, that act of disobedience was a movement towards homogenization. It was a movement towards homogenization. You see, the purpose of God for his creation is this. He wants his creation to be diverse. He wants his creation to be diverse to the point that there, there has to be that plurality. That's the purpose of God for his creation. And you know what? Sometimes when we read Acts, uh, Genesis chapter 9 and chapter 11, and when God confounded the languages of people, we tend to look at that as a punishment. But it's nowhere from the truth. That was not a punishment. That was actually for the purpose of fulfilling God's own purpose for diversity. Because if the people had one language and one speech, they would have not dispersed, and they would, there would be no diversity of cultures. There would be no diversity of nations. It was only when he confounded the languages that people moved. So don't look at that and don't interpret that as a punishment of God. In fact, it's the other way around. It was actually a purposive nature when God confounded the languages of people. Bernard Anderson, who wrote the book From Creation to New Creation, he said that the Babel story, the Babel story, has profound significance for a biblical theology of pluralism. Let me repeat that. The Babel story has a profound significance for a biblical theology of pluralism. God's will for his creation is diversity rather than homogeneity. God's will for his creation is diversity rather than homogeneity. It's about pluralism. It's about affirming that God's creation is diverse. Yet humanity's tendency is always hom hom homogeneity. That is always our purpose. In what ways? When we promote one culture over another, that is an act of homogeneity. When we make one culture superior over another, when we use skin color as, as a way of distinctive, making ourselves distinctive from other people, then that is an act of homogeneity. When we could not even reach out to our neighbors who come from a different background, that is an act of homogeneity. When we are so comfortable with our own ethnic groupings and ethnic enclaves, and we don't want to get out of our comfort zones, 
and not reach out to other cultures. That is an act of homogeneity and that is sin before God. God's purpose is diversity. And in all of these things, as we reflect in those four acts of disobedience, there are missiological implications to this. First, that mission is an outward movement. It is not about concentration. Mission and God's call for redemption is for people to go out and to move. You could find that, of course, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. The Great Commission from Jerusalem to Samaria and to the ends of the world. That's that outward movement of the gospel. Second, that mission also involves inclusion. To do mission means to consider other cultures and ethnicities and other languages and other cultures and bring them together in celebration of God's goodness. And of course, mission includes diversity. And that means for us to come together, not in the midst of our own specific ethnicity or cultures, but to really revolve and invite others coming from different backgrounds. Let me just conclude with this last question, last statement that was asked in Acts chapter 2, because Acts chapter 2 is actually the fulfillment of God's terms of diversity and promotion. When the disciples, or when the God-fearing Jews heard that the disciples heard the gospel in their own different languages, they asked only one question, and the question was, what does this mean? You know what the beauty of the English language, or any languages for that matter, is this. That even just a, a change of tone, or a change of emphasis in a syllable, it already changes the meaning of a word or a sentence. And so when you ask the question, what does this mean? It could mean two things. It could be a question, an expression of apprehension, or it is an expression of expectation. Let me repeat that. For those God-fearing Jews, when they ask that question, what does this mean? It has only two meanings. It could be an expression, an expression of apprehension, of fear, or desperation. But the other way of looking at that is that it is an expression of expectation. What does this mean? When other people come to our churches coming from different backgrounds, we ask ourselves, what does this mean? Are we apprehensive because they are coming to us? When we see refugees in our midst, and we, when, when we see that people are being dispersed, we ask ourselves this question, what does this mean? Are we afraid or are we expectant? I hope it's the other way, that we are expectant of God's ways in all of these things. I pray that we would be expectant in all of these things that are happening, that in the midst of this disobedience, we would be obedient towards God to accept that act of scattering, to accept that he wants us to be diverse. And so let us ask that question today. And as we celebrate today our serving of the world, because that is our vision statement, to be of service to the world, what does this mean for us? What is God's calling for us right now? And so I would like us to come in prayer. But instead of doing a prayers of the people, let's ask ourselves this question. What country or people group is asking you to pray for right now? What country 
or prayer group is asking or is God asking you to pray right now? And let's do this in another way. There are post-it notes on the different pews, and I would like you to write your prayers. Be specific. Write your prayers for a specific nation. Let's spend this time right now in prayer, but praying by writing that on the post-it notes on your pews. Let's spend time to write our prayers. What country is God leading you to pray right now? What country is, uh, is God asking you to, be, to focus your attention? And let us pray for that. And as soon as you are able to write your prayers, I would like to invite you to come forward and then post your prayers on this map on whatever country it falls. And let's start with those who are in the front and let's, let's observe social distancing. But I would like to invite you to come and post your prayers on this prayer board because this, that this is our collective way of praying for the world. Let us do that right now.